Thank you, Krista, for that uh, ministry in music. There are all kinds of transitions in life. There's transitioning from civilian life to military life. Transitioning from college to establishing a career. Transitioning from married life to becoming a widow or a widower. Transitioning from dependent living to now living in a nursing home. All kinds of transitions. Transitions are necessary, but transitions can also be painful. This morning we are going to look at a transition in ministry. A transition of ministry from that of John the Baptist to the ministry of Jesus. And uh, this morning I want to consider the steps in the process of transition in ministry. Steps in the process of transition in ministry, and in particular, the transition of ministry from John the Baptist to Jesus. So if you are not there yet, turn with me to Matthew chapter 4 as we consider these verses together. The first step in the transition from the ministry of John the Baptist to the ministry of Jesus was for John the Baptist to be taken off the scene. In Matthew chapter 4, verse 12, it begins with these simple words. Now, when he heard that John had been taken into custody, John the Baptist was arrested. He was imprisoned. And there is background to that, to be sure. Why was John the Baptist imprisoned? Why was he arrested? There is a human answer to that, humanly speaking, if you will, an impetus, a reason why he was arrested. And then there was also a sovereign purpose in it all. First, humanly speaking, John the Baptist was arrested due to his opposition to Herod the Tetrarch's marrying his sister-in-law. In Matthew chapter 14, verse 3 and 4, we read this. Now, Herod had arrested John and bound him and put him in prison because of Herodias, his brother Philip's wife. For John had been saying to him, it is not lawful for you to have her. Herod wanted to kill John, but he was afraid of the people because they considered him a prophet. So here is this righteous prophet standing in opposition to Herod's will and desire regarding his sister-in-law. And as a result, an irate Herod, instead of killing Jesus, at least at that moment, I mean, killing John the Baptist, at least for that moment, uh, did the second best in his mind. And that was to have John the Baptist arrested. To have him arrested. But sovereignly speaking, there is something quite significant going on here. John had been arrested because the function of John the Baptist's ministry of forerunner to Jesus had come to an end. The purpose of God raising up John was to prepare the way of the Lord. Matthew chapter 3, verse 3. And so, John the Baptist had done that. 
He had proclaimed Jesus Christ. He had proclaimed a message of repentance. And it was really time for his ministry to come to a close. Now the focal point would move from John the Baptist to Jesus. So John's imprisonment actually furthered the cause of God. Much like the imprisonment of the Apostle Paul furthered the gospel. People had been very concerned in Philippi when the Apostle John was arrested. What was going to happen now? What was going to happen not only for Paul, but what was going to happen for the cause of Christ? What would it mean that this great dynamic uh, Christian statesman and evangelist and missionary, what would it mean when he could no longer have the freedom to go about preaching the word of God? What were going to be the outcomes of that? And the church was in turmoil as it wrestled with the possible outcomes. Paul writes to the Philippians in chapter 1, verse 12, 12. Now, I want you to know, brethren, that my circumstances have turned out for the greater progress of the gospel, so that my imprisonment in the cause of Christ has become well known throughout the whole Praetorian Guard and to everyone else. And Paul goes on to list a number of reasons of how the gospel was actually furthered through his imprisonment. That they shouldn't be dismayed. That a sovereign God was at work. So too, in the imprisonment of John the Baptist, it served to promote the cause of Christ. God was still on the throne when John the Baptist was arrested and imprisoned. The function of the forerunner had come to an end. Some transitions are welcomed. Some transitions are more difficult and painful. On the one hand, this was a welcomed transition on the part of John the Baptist. He was ready for this. He had said he must increase, I must decrease. He had said that he, John the Baptist was not worthy to even untie uh, the, the uh, latches of Jesus' sandals. He said to Jesus, I should not be baptizing you, but you should be baptizing me. John the Baptist was very much aware and ready and willing to accept a subservient role. To promote the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. But I'll tell you, this manner in which the uh, transition took form, namely by... John the Baptist being put into prison through John for a loop. He didn't see that coming. He wasn't anticipating that outcome. John the Baptist went overnight from being this sensation of which the crowds are pouring out to him. But he wasn't looking for the adulation, but here he was in this highly promoted and sought after place only in a matter of moments, it seems, to be thrown into prison and to be removed from the scene. Just to give you a sense of how difficult that was, turn with me to Matthew chapter 11. Matthew chapter 11.
John chapter 11. Did I say John? Excuse me. Matthew. I'm sorry. Matthew. I'm thinking John, John the Baptist. Matthew chapter 11. I'll give you time to get there. Matthew chapter 11. Matthew 11, starting at verse 1. When Jesus had finished giving instructions to his twelve disciples, he departed from there to teach and preach in their cities. Now, when John, this is referring to John the Baptist, while imprisoned, heard of the works of Christ, he sent word by his disciples and said to him, Are you the expected one, or shall we look for, any, uh, for someone else? Uh, many times this throws the commentators into a, a state of flux. Here is John the Baptist. The one who had heard the voice from heaven saying, this is my beloved son, who I'm well pleased. Here is John the Baptist, the one who is the forerunner of Jesus Christ, who says that he is the one who is coming to take away the sin of the world. He is uh, openly proclaiming Jesus Christ. And we find in Matthew chapter 11, he's sending disciples to Jesus saying, are you the one? Why the change? Why the ambiguity? I submit to you as imprisonment. Jesus, if you really are the Son of God, Jesus, if you really are the Messiah, if you really are the Deliverer, what am I doing sitting in this jail cell? Why aren't I out proclaiming the good news of the coming of the Lord? I tell you, it threw John the Baptist for a loop. And it, it is kind of mind-boggling on, on one hand. As, as we look at the situation, we can understand the importance of transition. We can readily acknowledge that it was important for John the Baptist to be moved out of the way and for Jesus to have a place of prominence. No question. But, but why did a sovereign God choose to accomplish that end that way? Was there another way for John the Baptist to be taken out of uh, the limelight? Wasn't there a smoother transition? Wasn't there an easier way? Well, I, I don't really don't have an answer to all that this morning, except to say that's what a sovereign God chose to do. And I'm telling you, it served his end, but it was painful. It was painful. So many times in transitions, it serves the end of a sovereign God, but the process is painful. Many times people don't understand what's going on or why it's going on. These transitions in life, they can be, be hard. And that goes, too, for transitions in ministry. So often it is that they're not smooth. And sometimes they're accomplished through splits and through all kinds of untoward circumstances. And it's easy to throw up your hands and say, where is a sovereign God in all of this? Answer, a sovereign God is at work. Many times in ways that to us seem painful and sometimes even quite odd. But it was time for John the Baptist to be taken off the scene and that's the first step in transition. The second step in the transition of ministry was for Jesus to leave and settle in Judea. 
With the imprisonment of John the Baptist, the atmosphere in Jerusalem became increasingly hostile to the prophetic message of repentance. John had been preaching in the environs of Judea. Matthew chapter 3, verse 1. Now in those days, John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea, saying. All the surrounding areas had been going out to John. Matthew chapter 3, verse 5. Then Jerusalem was going out to him in all Judea and all the district round about the Jordan. So in that large geographical area, the, the, all of those towns, villages, and even the city of Jerusalem was going out to where John was uh, baptizing in the Jordan River. Jesus himself had left Galilee and traveled uh, to uh, the Jordan to be baptized by John the Baptist. Matthew 3, verse 13. Then Jesus arrived from Galilee at the Jordan, coming to John to be baptized by him. Upon hearing of the arrest of John the Baptist, it is the motivation for Jesus to leave the area of Judea and travel back to Galilee. Notice verse 12 of Matthew 4. When he heard that John had been taken into custody, he withdrew into Galilee. Jesus returns to Galilee, but this time he does not return to his home in Nazareth. When Jesus had left Galilee, he was living in Nazareth when he went to be baptized by John the Baptist. When he returns, he doesn't return to Nazareth, but it tells us in verse 13, he came and settled in Capernaum, which is by the sea in the region of Zebulun and Naphtali, two tribes of Israel, the area of land that they had been given. And this withdrawal was a judgment upon Judea and a blessing to the area of Zebulun and Naphtali. Notice verses 15 and 16. The land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali by the way of the sea beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles, the people who were sitting in darkness saw a great light. And to those who were sitting in the land and shadow of death, upon them a light dawned. This was an incredible privilege and blessing for those in the area of Capernaum and roundabout, because Jesus was now there. And this is going to be the place where he begins his ministry. So they are blessed because they have seen a great light. All of this is in keeping with the Old Testament prophecies and the will of God. Notice verse 14. This was to fulfill what was spoken through Isaiah the prophet, saying, then it's a quotation of Naphtali seeing this great light. So again, it's a reminder to us that God is in all of this. Why is he in the land of Zebulun and Naphtali? It's the will of God. It was prophesied back in the Old Testament. It was prophesied in the book of Isaiah. Again, we're to see a sovereign God at work and his purposes and plans fulfilled. Jesus left Judea, not because he was afraid, but it was a judgment. It was a judgment that the light would be taken away from them. As they were refusing the ministry of John the Baptist, as they were unwilling to accept his message of repentance, Jesus withdraws himself from them. Jesus 
puts them in a place of darkness. That is often the way judgment comes. When people don't desire the Word of God, God often takes the Word from them. In the book of Jeremiah, God says that He will send shepherds that are appropriate for the people. The people who want to hear receive good shepherds. The people who don't want to hear receive bad shepherds who do not proclaim the Word of God. It is a curse, if you will, upon them. In the book of Timothy, we are told that in the last days, perilous times will come and that uh, people will no longer be willing to hear sound doctrine, but will heap up for themselves teachers having itching ears. That uh, they are going to be giving teachers that are going to be in keeping with their desires. They don't want to hear the word, so God's going to give them teachers that won't proclaim the word. Uh, With that in mind, uh, I fear for our country, because even though we have a lot of professing Christians in our country, there is not a great hunger after the word of God. And uh, a sovereign God has a tendency to remove his word from those who are not desirous of hearing it. That's one of the transitions that takes place. And uh, I don't talk this way often, but I really think in our nation we are in a period of transition. We are in a period from going from a Christian era to a post-Christian era. And uh, I think that we can see there's going to be a dearth of the Word of God uh, in, uh, in our country. Third, the third step in the transition from John the Baptist's ministry to Jesus' ministry was for Jesus to begin preaching publicly. Jesus began to preach, Matthew 4, verse 17. From that time, Jesus began to preach. He began to preach. Key word there is began. Uh, This is something new. This is the very beginning of the public ministry of Jesus. Jesus is approximately 30 years of age. And up until this time, he had not been engaged in a preaching ministry. Now it begins. And once again, notice the time reference in verse 17. From that time, from that time, referring back to hearing of the arrest of John the Baptist. That's the motivation, humanly speaking. That's what prompts Jesus to begin preaching. Somebody has to take up the mantle. Somebody has to stand in the, in the gap. Somebody has to take on this great work. And it's going to be Jesus. For notice at the end of verse 17. From that time, Jesus began to preach and say, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Keep your finger here. And turn with me to Matthew chapter 3, verse 2. Matthew chapter 3. I'll start with verse 1. Now in those days, John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Matthew chapter 4, Jesus begins preaching saying, The kingdom of heaven is at hand. Repent. It is the exact same message of John the Baptist. 
Jesus is identifying with the message of John the Baptist. Here is Jesus. Here is John the Baptist in prison. Jesus does not shy away from that message. He doesn't allow that to intimidate him, but rather he continues on preaching the message that John the Baptist preached. Not deterred by John's imprisonment. Not unwilling to identify with the ministry of John the Baptist. But more importantly, this is not a view backwards, it's a view forwards. You see, John the Baptist really had prepared the way for Jesus. He did and said what needed to be done and needed to be said. John the Baptist's message was ultimately the message of Jesus. It isn't that Jesus' message was John the Baptist. It's John the Baptist's message was Jesus' message. That he prepared the way. The people were not shocked when Jesus began to proclaim, the king, repent because the kingdom of heaven is at hand. They had heard that message before. And he had prepared the way. The fourth step in the transition of the ministry from John the Baptist to the ministry of Jesus was for Jesus to call disciples to himself. Matthew chapter 4, verses 18 to 22. And walking by the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, who was called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And he said to them, follow me. And I will make you fishers of men. And they immediately left the nets and followed him. And going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother. In the boat was Zebedee, their father, mending their nets. And he called them. And they immediately left the boat and their father <coughs> excuse me, and followed him. Jesus, as he begins... His public ministry starts by calling disciples. These particular disciples that are ultimately going to be apostles, sent ones, people who are going to then carry on the ministry of Jesus when he dies and ascends into heaven. Go ye therefore into all the world and preach the gospel. Paul is going to say to these men in Matthew chapter 28. These are the next people to bear the mantle. Here is Jesus already preparing for the next transition, if you will. A time when his earthly ministry is going to be over. And he's going to pour his life into the apostles. These 12 men. He is going to teach them. He is going to instruct them. He's going to empower them. He's going to enable them with the intent. Notice verse 19. He said to them, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. Leave your fishing work behind because I'm going to make you fishers of men. They were going to carry on the work of the Lord Jesus Christ. The next transition. These disciples would be crucial to the plan and will of God. Application. We always need to be aware of transition. Of transition. 
And not only do we need to be aware of transition, we need to prepare for it. In your own life, you need to prepare for the transitions that you're going to face personally. You need to plan your future. Uh, You need to think about retirement. You need to think about what it's going to be like when uh, you're not going to be able to live in your own home. You need to think about what's going to happen when your wife, when your your husband dies, when your spouse is no longer with you, what you're going to do. You need to think about those things. You need to think about what's going to happen after I graduate. You need to think about what I'm going to do after I'm married. Where am I going to work? Where am I going to live? Uh, All these things. All these transitions in life you need to prepare for. And the idea is to make them as smoothly and as painless as possible. But you can't always guarantee that. Even as the transition of the ministry of John the Baptist demonstrates. Painful transition for for John. We also need to be preparing constantly for transition in leadership in the spiritual realm. Churches need to think about what's going to happen when their pastor retires, their pastor leaves. They need to think about what happens as the elders grow older and the next generation comes on. All of that transition needs to take place because the Word of God needs to go forward. Third lesson, transition isn't to be feared. It's drastically different. The ministry of John the Baptist and the ministry of Jesus is radically different. Notice Matthew chapter 4, verse 23. And Jesus was going about in Galilee, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every kind of disease and every kind of sickness among the people. And the news about him went into all Syria and they brought to him all who were ill, taken with various diseases and pains, demoniacs, epileptics, paralytics, and he healed them. The ministry of Jesus, though the message was the same, he preached, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Although the message was the same of John the Baptist and Jesus, the methods could not have been more different. John the Baptist did not perform a single miracle. And Jesus' ministry was filled with miracles. We understand why. He was the Son of God and he was demonstrating his his deity. He was demonstrating who he was. But my point to you is those ministries were drastically different. And while there were similarities to the ministry of the apostles, to the ministry of Jesus, there's some real differences. There's some vast differences. And that's a part of transition. That's why transition happens. Because there is need for change. There is need for different methods. There is need for uh, contextualization, if you will. But the message should always be the same. We should never lose sight of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. That needs to be an ongoing commitment from generation to generation to generation to generation. And so in the book of Jude, we learn about how 
that we have a gospel that was given to us through down through the, the centuries. One gospel for all time. Uh, that is to be true in our lives personally. Whatever transition you go through in life, you need to be committed to the scriptures. You be, need to be committed to the truth. There may come situations in your life that are hard to accept. That might actually shake you to your, to your bones. They can be painful. Filled with heartache. A death of a spouse. And maybe not only that the spouse dies, but dies in a, in a very painful manner. And you have to watch that person deteriorate. That can cause questions to be asked. That can cause us to be, be shaken in our heart and mind. John the Baptist, sitting in a prison cell, sends word to Jesus, Are you the one? Are you the one? Jesus responds to John the Baptist, not in ridicule and not in rebuke. He says to the disciples of John the Baptist, go back and tell them what you see. Go back and tell them the miracles that are being performed. Ease his heart and his mind. And it's upon that occasion that Jesus takes the opportunity to say, there hasn't arisen one greater than John the Baptist. What a comfort that ought to be for us. In the midst of John the Baptist's doubts, Jesus says, there's not arisen one greater than John the Baptist. Which ought to give us comfort in the times of our doubts. Especially doubts in the midst of transition. Nobody likes change. We like the familiar. And we can begin to have doubts. Doubts. Our doubts are a little different than John the Baptist's doubts, but they are similar. We can doubt if God is working. We can doubt of whether God is really in control. We can doubt that Jesus is really the head of the church. We can doubt that the next generation is going to be as faithful as the generation that precedes. We can have doubts and we can have worries. But we shouldn't. Because our confidence is to be in the person of God and His Word. He oversees the future. He oversees the present. The methods change. The commitment to the gospel remains the same. And notice verse 25 of Matthew chapter 4. And great multitudes followed him. That is, Jesus. Turn back with me to Matthew chapter 3. Verse 5.
the ministry of John the Baptist. Then Jerusalem was going out to him and all Judea and all the district around the Jordan. There were multitudes following John the Baptist. Those multitudes left. John the Baptist is in prison. Now there are multitudes following Jesus. We're going to find later in the book of Matthew that most of the multitudes go away. Even in the ministry of Jesus. And of course, at his death, he is totally forsaken. There was no one standing by him, including his his disciples. And the crowd turns upon him and says, crucify him, crucify him, crucify him. Multitudes come and go. Numbers increase. Numbers decrease. Ministries change. We can look at human reasons for that. And many times there are, quote unquote, human reasons for that. But I'm encouraging us this morning not simply to look at the human reasons. But to look at a sovereign God who has purposes, who has a plan. There are reasons for the multitudes coming and going. In the ministry of John the Baptist, in the ministry of Jesus, and in ministries today. God is at work. So, in conclusion, point number one. The transition of ministry from John the Baptist to that of Jesus was painful for John. Not that he was opposed to it. Not that he didn't understand that it was coming. But he never saw it coming in the way that it occurred. So, too. Sometimes we can be prepared for transition. Sometimes we can see it coming and be ready for it. Other times it just takes us in ways that we hadn't ever expected. But don't let it shake your faith. Number two, we should see God's judgment upon an unrepentant and obstinate people in taking the light from them. It was the will of God that Jesus go now to Galilee. Leave Jerusalem. Leave Judea. Leave the epicenter of the religious heritage of Israel. The times that we find Jesus in the temple, you can almost count on one hand. It's mind-boggling that the ministry of Jesus would not be focalized in Jerusalem. The seat of the Jewish faith But instead, he's on the outer environs. Why? As a judgment upon the city of Jerusalem. And their failure to adhere to the prophets. They had been given so much opportunity. So that Jesus pauses on the triumphal entry, looking over Jerusalem, and he weeps. 
And he said, how often I would gather you together as a chick under your wings, but you would not. You who have despised the prophets. You who have rejected the word of God. That's one of the reasons I fear for our country. In the modern era, we have been the place out of which the gospel has has flowed. We have taken the gospel to the uttermost parts of the end of the earth. And you know now that there are foreign countries sending missionaries to the United States. That's a blessing of God, and it's also a statement of judgment. Transitioning. The nucleus, the dynamic, the evangelical force of Christendom is no longer the United States. It's foreign entities. And that's a fearful thought. As Jesus did no longer focus on Jerusalem. Thirdly, we should observe the work of God in our time. We need to reflect. And as we look at what God is doing, Let's not forget what God is doing. God moves in a mysterious way. We sing that often because that's becoming my favorite hymn. Because I think it is so true. A sovereign, he moves in a mysterious way. And I would just encourage you not simply to look at life from a humanistic point of view. And understand all that is taking place simply in terms of man's decisions and responses. But even in those human decisions and responses, may we see an invisible hand of providence leading and directing his people and his church. You as individuals, us corporately, and the kingdom of God throughout the world. God is accomplishing his purposes. Even as he did in Matthew chapter 4. Let's pray. Our Father, we thank you for your great grace. I pray you would help us in transitioning in every facet of life. Personally, corporately, individually, as a church. Lord, we go through many different stages in our life, many different stages in our development, some more pleasing, some more difficult. But, oh, Lord, first, help us to be accepting of those transitions. May we see them as a part of the inevitable nature of life, how vital those transitions are to the ongoing work of God. Give us commitment in those transitions to your word. Not to doubt because painful or unpleasant things are occurring, whether they be in the church or whether they be in our personal lives. But Lord, may we be committed to prayer. May we be committed to the scriptures. May we be committed to looking to you. 
and seeing your work prosper. May we also understand that you have used and will use down through the ages many different methodologies. Many different means of achieving your ends and your purposes. So that ministries take on different looks. But, oh Lord, may we understand and ever be committed to not a methodology, but a gospel. Not how something is done, but what is done. Oh Lord, as we seek to reach our generation, as we seek to reach our culture, as we seek to reach our world, help us to use many different methodologies. Help us to use many different means and methods. But Lord, help us to maintain a steadfast adherence to the truth of your word and the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. For we know that there is no other name given among, uh, among men whereby we must be saved. So, Lord, bless your word this day. In Jesus' name, amen.